0: Welcome to the Nurse Leader Network podcast with your host, Chris Racinos. Wherever you're going on your nurse leader journey, we're here to help you get there.
1: Welcome everybody to the Nurse Leader Network. I am your host, Chris Racinos. And today we're going to be talking about something that is a pandemic. I would like to say, or I believe that it is within our own profession. We have a pandemic going on outside of our profession, but we also have a pandemic Going on inside of our profession. And that is that we are hemorrhaging nurses. We are losing nurses. They, um, you know, are burnt out and they are leaving and it is costing organizations and patient care hugely. And so today's guest is going to talk to us about, uh, burnout retention and just really kind of give us some tips on how we can uh, make sure that our nurses are happy where they're at and that we attack this pandemic inside of nursing so that we can continue the amazing care that we do here. So um, I'd like to introduce my guest. Her name is Noelle Cole. She is a leader and vitality and retention coach. Uh, she's also a former director of nursing. Welcome, Noelle. Hi, thank you. I appreciate you having me. Noelle, tell us about your journey. How did you get started in your coaching? What, what kind of nurse um, were you in terms of your background? We'd love to learn more about you.
0: All right. It sounds good. Um, so I started my career in pediatrics. Um, I was a pediatric critical care nurse for many years. And, um, at that time I was working out in Los Angeles and loved, um, loved being a nurse, loved being at the bedside, and was also always interested and intrigued by the nursing leadership aspect. And when I, was looking at leadership. I'm not I wasn't thinking at that time as a new grad looking at like ner- you know nurse managers or directors, but looking at the preceptors and the charge nurses and you know being surrounded by great um leaders that were, you know, leaders at the bedside. I was like, "Wow, I really want to be like them one day." And you know, I so throughout my nursing career, I was so excited as a new grad to then move on to the next step to precept and then move on to the next step to be a charge nurse, because I always felt that inside me, I wanted to give back to the nursing profession, um, all of the sort of golden nuggets that were given to me, because nurses, as we all know, are the future. And new grad nurses will always be the future. And how you raise your nurses is ultimately how the culture and the outcomes are going to be of the units that you're in. So I over the course of the years, um, my whole nursing career did stay in pediatrics. I did climb the, uh, the leadership ladder and I became a nursing director. And I was also a nurse manager. And then my last several years, I was a nursing director. And again, my focus even into my um, senior leadership role was to really look at the staff to see what can we do to keep those that are here happy and those coming in welcomed into the environment that they were in. And so while many throughout the organization, you know, we, we focus on clopsies and infection and, and all of those things that encompass le- the leadership role, my focus clearly was on that. But when I looked at my specific units, and I've, I had about 65, 70 nurses underneath me um, throughout the years you know, I I looked at my staff, and I said, we're in a great place right now, what can we do? And how can we keep them? And, you know, I feel like in any position, you trip and fall a few times, not everything all, you know, comes cookie cutter and and great. And I found that my greatest successes were learning from my failures. And there definitely was a lot of, um, you know, failures along the the way. But I think that when you do a lot of self reflection, you learn from that. And Um, What got me into where I'm at today in my career being a leadership retention and a vitality coach is that the last couple of years, um, the role of nursing leaders became very overwhelming in that, you know, the healthcare system, patients have been getting sicker. Then you add COVID on top of it. I mean, that's the sickest of the sick. And our roles just kept expanding and expanding. And as we know, you sort of lose the the quality of the work that you can put into it by being so lean. And a lot of that, I lost focus on trying to take care of the staff and do what was necessary as a leader, because there were so many other factors that were coming into play. Most recently, October of 2019, I was in an accident. Where I had a severe leg break and ended up with a rod, screw, or plate set in seven screws in my legs. I was not able to walk for 13 weeks. And by the time I really learned how to walk again on my leg, I was um, the typical nurse that we are. And I was like, I'm fine. Everything's great. (laughs) Put me back in. You know, there's this thing called COVID going around and I need to help my team. So that's what I did. I went back into work a little bit earlier than I should have. That was really hard as well because you know when you're so busy as a nursing leader and then I'm a mother of four with uh you know four kids under the age of twelve, when your whole world stops as a nurse and you've got home health in your house and you've got people doing things for you, your mindset changes a little bit differently and, and and not for the better. And going into back into work with an already um you know sort of injured mindset. Wasn't easy for me. Um, You know, you still put on that coat of armor. And I did everything that I thought I needed to do necessary to build up my team as we started to come into the COVID surge. Part of that was creating um, or taking our pediatric ICU and turning it into an adult COVID ICU within a matter of a week's time. So there was a lot of great things that took place with the staff. I've never had such a resilient, amazing group of nurses who were pediatric nurses for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, only doing pediatrics, then taking care of 67-year-old very sick adults with COVID and did it extraordinarily well. Um, So I was very, very blessed to have such an awesome team. But Overall, you know, the role as a as a leader was twenty four seven, as we all know. But the hours of operation increased. Um, there were, you know, you you try to look to the other leaders around you for support and help through such a a crisis, and you know that they're going through the same thing. So you you try not to burden other leaders, in in, in that aspect, and by doing so and not reaching out over time, you end up mentally weakening as yourself. And by the time May came, I was already showing signs of PTSD and um, stress, anxiety that I chose to ignore. It wasn't until that I ended up collapsing on a Zoom call at work and shutting the camera off that I thought I was having a heart attack. And Even then, I shut the camera off because I didn't want anybody to know what was happening because as leaders, we wear this coat of armor as if we're not human. And I ended up going to the emergency room and was there for about nine hours finding out that it's not cardiac related. I suffered a severe panic attack. Um, That was sort of the defining moment for me in my career that uh, I realized if you don't take care of yourself, similar to the oxygen on the plane you can't take care of others and th- those moments came very fast where over time my staff realized and saw that I was not the person that I used to be and I had to think about what was more you know what was more important for them and for myself and that was me taking a step back from my position they needed a leader that was in the right place that can lead for them. And I needed to be okay with that. It was time for me to heal and pivot my career into a different direction, but taking some time off to self-reflect. So that's, that was my leadership journey um, over the last 15 to 20 years that um, gave me a, the ability to pause over the summer to reflect where I am at right now. Your story just
1: um, hits me right in the gut because it's one that I think so many nurse leaders can relate to, right? I mean, we are all putting on this coat of armor. We're all um, really not doing a great job of taking care of ourselves. And it shows, right? It shows to the staff. So I, I want to say, you know, I, I totally empathize with what it is that you went through, And I can see how sharing this story really, um, there's going to be people that are listening to this right now. They're like, oh my gosh, that's what, that's what I'm feeling. That's what I'm going through. And don't realize that actually, you know, moving into a different position is not going to only heal themselves, but really be the best decision for their staff. And so um, it's a really brave thing that you did. No, I, um, I love the story. And I mean, it's, it's amazing. So talk to me about the work that you're now in, in terms of um, being a coach is really around, Turnover. What are some of the costs to turnover? So, for those listeners that maybe don't have really a great understanding of what the costs are, can you share with us some of the costs of turnover to the organization, to patient care? Yes,
0: absolutely. Um, you know, and this is, and I love that you brought up this question because when you're outside of leadership, it's it doesn't impact you as much when you don't hear the dollars and cents and the numbers behind it. Um, but the cost of turnover, you know, per nurse, each nurse that resigns from their position, it costs roughly between forty-five dollars and $50,000 a nurse just to resign and leave their position. Overall, um, it it costs the organizations about 4 to $6 million a year. And the, you know, the hard factor too, is when you look at that, that's just the cost of them leaving. Then you look at the average fill time for a position. The average fill time nationwide has been about 81 days. So when you look at that and you take a situation like now that we're in with the pandemic and losing nurses in about 81 days to fill, you realize that, you know, you're in a crisis and you need to fill these spots right away with traveler nurses. That comes at an additional cost because now most organizations are getting gouged with certain, you know, networks that are charging so much per hour to have these nurses come in. And that's another additional cost that gets tacked onto the organization. So it's very costly to for turnover and not have the ability to retain your staff.
1: For somebody who was like fifty thousand dollars, what is that? Where's that money coming from? How's that figure formulated? What goes into that fifty thousand dollars?
0: So when you look at the average cost of what a nurse makes times the um, amount of time that they're gone, and Then you add the amount of money that it actually costs to bring somebody into the organization to reorient and train. That's where the combination of these figures come about.
1: Yeah. Also, you got to think about right. So we're paying for an orientation. So how much is the staff that are doing the orientation for this person? We're paying for you Uh, know maybe the drug test or the background test or whatever kind of you know a a primary uh, sourcing of uh, licenses and all of those kind of things. So yeah, definitely. Um, huge cost. I I teach a finance class uh, for nurses, and I always have them do some work around, uh, you know, budgeting and FTEs and looking at the the cost of turnover. And they're always like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that it was so expensive. I think, you know, what they don't understand is that there's also other implications, right, in terms of cost. When you don't have that nurse there for 81 days, who's picking up that work, right? So it's all these other nurses that are going to be picking it up that are now burning out that are now having patient, um, harm because, you know, there's not enough nurses or because they're burned out and not being able to take care of the patients or, you know, you're short staffed and can't turn your patients. So now we have all kinds of, um, you know, hospital acquired pressure injuries. And, um, I mean, I think there's huge costs, there's costs around satisfaction, right? How are satisfied are the patients going to be? If there's constantly different nurses, if they're constantly on a new learning curve, or if You know, there's constantly short staffed, and I can't get my water or get up to go to the restroom when I need to. So, definitely a huge ton of um, costs. In terms of patient
0: outcomes and nursing retention, is there any kind of relationship there? There is. And, you know, it's so funny. It's like you're reading my mind because I was, as you were saying that, I was thinking this because there is a direct correlation between retention and patient outcomes. And this is actually one of the areas, and, you know, we can probably touch on you know later on in the show, but I I did my leadership course um, did turn into me creating a program for nursing leaders that's designed for nursing leaders to improve their growth and development and skills as a leader and and give them the methods to retain staff. And one of that, we actually discussed retention and patient outcomes in one of the weeks in my course. And there was a qualitative study that was done um, not too long ago where they where they took a 1000 frontline nurses to identify what the focus was when you're looking at the front lines. And when you look at uh, patient outcomes, there is a direct correlation between leader member exchange, and I'll talk about what I mean by that, um, staff satisfaction to patient satisfaction to improving outcomes. What this study did show is that when you show empathy and trust and you have that relationship building with your staff as a leader your average length of stay patient stay goes down patient falls medication errors went down and patient satisfaction went up and it was it was pretty impressive to see this and what i discuss you know in in part of my course is that when we talk about this i I came up with the terminology um, leader member or leader staff exchange. And what I mean by that is when you're looking at trying to create a healing environment and a positive environment for your staff to work in, you've got to think about those times as a leader when you walk into your unit. And I'll give you an example of walking into a PICU because it's oftentimes is chaotic when you're a level one trauma hospital. And you know that you're busy with back-to-back meetings. You know that you don't have the time to sit there and be with staff, or maybe, maybe you have a minute to go through. The staff are going to know that, sense it, and feel it. My suggestion is don't go in. Don't bother. Because if you can't be in the moment and be present to be there for your staff, it actually interrupts. That exchange can interrupt their energy and their thought before going into a patient room. So for example, um, you know, let's say you walk into the unit, it's really busy. And Sally has a patient who's decompensating from a respiratory standpoint. And in the next room, she has an admission of a patient who is septic, multi-organ failure, needs to crash on ECMO, right? These are two situations that actually can, can legitimately happen. And you see the stress on Sally's face. And you say, Sally, I see that you're, you know, you're really frustrated now, is there anything I can do to help you? In Sally's head, she's going to be like, uh, yeah, no, I don't need her help, but okay. And she's going to answer that. And she's going to say, no, I got it. I'm busy and move on. If you tell Sally that you recognize the stress, let me do this for you. You're actually directing yourself to a specific task that you may be able to help her with. Sally still may say no, but the thought is that you came in with an intention to give value to that staff member. If you came in and Sally was overwhelmed and came to you and you weren't there for her and you walked away, the energy and the stress on her going into that next patient's room with the admission is going to present itself in patient care. And this is what a lot of um, of leaders and staff don't realize because it sounds it may sound silly to some in the moment, but you have to think about... You know, and I, I use an example of like with animals, animals have a sixth sense. They, they know when fear is there. They know when something is going wrong. An employee knows when you walk into an environment, you can feel it and you're like, ooh, this is either busy, stressful, chaotic, or, you know, you feel tension. It's the leader's responsibility in those moments when you see staff like that to reset the button and correct it. And if you don't have that moment to have that exchange, you're better off not going in. So that's that piece of when you look at retention and patient outcomes that affects staff, that's so pivotal and vital for the leaders to be present in those moments to correct.
1: Wow, those are really great points. What what would a nurse leader like what would you tell a nurse leader to do if let's say, for example, um, you know, they you they are to pick you, but I'm going to make it up. Maybe the nurse leader hasn't, you know, um, done a whole lot of patient care recently. So maybe it's like a chief nursing officer that hasn't done a lot of patient care. If they're walking in there and, you know, they, they feel that it's stressful and, um, you know, they're, they're not like they walk in and they want to help, but they don't know what, a, what they can do to help. Like what, what kind of thing might they offer to do to, to help the staff feel supported?
0: I think the best thing you can do as a nursing leader is be transparent and be authentic. You know, if you know that you have not been at the bedside and you cannot go in there and you know actually clinically help with patient care, you go right to the charge nurse and say, "I'm here to help you. Here's where my strengths are." By asking a charge nurse who's busy, "I want to help you. What can I do for you?" They are already in a tailspin. They are not going to think about what you can and can't do because they don't know what you can and can't do. But if you go in with intentions to say what your strengths are and what you're able to do, then they'll delegate that task to you. Yeah, that's
1: uh, a great point. I know when, I, um, when we first uh, got hit with COVID and the hospital decided to um, have no patients, right? It was, I think, a thing that mo- most hospitals decided to have no visitors. Um, you know, we had several, you know, probably I don't even know how many visitors, that we had in the hospital, and so I knew because we were setting up, you know, like COVID units and all of that, that the staff were ridiculously um, stressed out. And so myself and my director of nursing went into every single room in the hospital. We were a 300 bed hospital. Every single room in that hospital, and had those conversations with the um, patients' family members about having to leave because we were going to close it down to patients' family members yeah. because you know we didn't want to put that on our front line. We knew that they were already busy and stressed, and I could not, you know, I could don and doff, like I knew, how, I know how to don and doff, but there's definitely, you know, I've been working as an NP a lot longer than I worked as a med surge nurse. And so there was a lot of things I didn't know how to do, but I could have those conversations that I knew were going to be intense and heated, right? A lot of family members mm-hmm. were like, I'm not leaving. And so, you know, um you hit the nail on the head and, and I got to give kudos to my director of nursing because she uh, was a rock star. I mean, she really awesome. had a, a great attitude and really kind of you know joked around with family and friends and 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 had a great approach to it versus thinking of it as a chore. So um, yeah, I think I mean you've definitely hit the nail on the head. So you you said that you have a program. Tell me about what your program's called. Where uh, you know what kind of things you offer in it and what some tips are for nurses around it.
0: So I'm actually like a little kid at Christmas time. I'm really really excited <laughs> about this program and. You know it, it's amazing because when when I had that time to self reflect and look at everything that I've done and accomplished and failed at and, and succeeded, there was there was a very small moment in time that I had as I started to reflect and and look back, and I said, "My God, there's so much that we're trying to do for bedside nurses, and there's so much being put on leaders to do and to figure out that many leaders." have been put into positions that they're not, they haven't been trained and They're not ready for. And it's unfortunate that sometimes it becomes to their professional demise that it doesn't work out. And leadership ends up leaving the bedside or, you know, leaving leadership just as equally as fast as, um, as bedside nurses are, because the ability to handle such a um, you know, a, a crucial position is difficult. So When I looked at my role as a leader through, you know, and my succession planning throughout time, and I looked at where the areas of opportunity were to grow and looked at where nursing leaders are today, I realized that there's not enough training out there for nursing leaders to develop that forward thinking approach to have that strength, you know, that vitality and skill set in them to be that strong leader, to be able to be supportive to their staff. So I created a program and I tried to make it unique in that there's a lot of, uh, nursing retention, uh, workshops and programs out there. But when I looked at this from a leadership perspective, I actually focused on the new grad retention piece of it. So You know, just to give everyone a little back history of me, um, over the years, I've actually had a very high percentage rate in nursing retention, which was around 90% overall for many years. And prior to me stepping down from my role, um, the four years prior to that, I had four consecutive years in a row of 100% retention rate with new graduate nurses. And that was something-
1: That's awesome. Let me just give you a quick clap for that
0: one. (laughs) Thank you. Um, and you know, for me, it was just something that I did. And I I'm not a researcher. i you know, I'm not he wasn't into studies and things like that, and my brain was in a totally different mindset and direction. And when the um education department and those that created the nursing residency program started looking at stats and and saw that my units were always the highest the questions always came up, what are you doing? And, I, you know, I had to take a pause. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just doing what I know what to do. And I realized perhaps by the end of that year, I'm like, this probably isn't a good answer. And I really need to take a deep dive into what are we doing differently? And I don't want to say what I was doing because it wasn't just me. It was my team. You know, we. what were we doing differently as, as a team that caused these new grads to stay? And so I took that approach. I looked at it and analyzed it from a leadership perspective. And I realized when I peeled back the layers that there's four key dimensions to leadership that inevitably allows you to retain nurses. And I put the retention in a bubble. And those four key dimensions that I I end up talking about in my program is emotional intelligence, individualism, influence, and consistency. So, I'll go into that in a in a second so this is a thirteen week program designed specifically for nursing leaders to teach them at their core how to be a leader and how to retain nurses but specifically new grad nurses and It's one hour a week, so it's thirteen weeks. but at the end of the program they they'll walk away with a cert, with a certification of completion. but the main thing is this isn't just a program to learn and teach and and You know, say, "Yay, I completed it," and you move on. We're actually taking the core metrics of each organization to look at what your percentage turnover rate is. What does retention rate look like? Take the NDNQI, the HCAP. There are certain factors within the NDA, NDNQI, and HCAPs uh, surveys that we focus on to look at those numbers, and you use these these metrics as a benchmark. So by the end, we've created um, you know, within the cohorts that go through an implementation plan that's designed for them to go back and present this sort of like a graduation in the 13th week to their executive leaders to say, here's what I've learned. Here's what we've come up with. Here's with our numbers. And in the next six months to a year, we're going to reduce our turnover rate by this percent. And here's how we're going to do it. So there's a plan put in place after this. And that's the piece that I love about it is that they're actually going to see and create change that's happening within their organization.
1: Wow. Okay. So tell me about tell me some more about those four key dimensions.
0: Okay. So the and I call it the leaders the leaders playbook. So the four key dimensions that I found to be very successful as a leader um, is emotional intelligence, influence, individualism, consistency. Like I mentioned. So when I look at emotional intelligence. I look at the fact that you know how you handle your own emotions will ultimately impact how you can handle others. Um, I think about the phrase, you know, what is it about me that's causing this person to react this way, or what is it about this situation that I'm unable to fix? So you have to take that step back, and we and we talk about this, and we do a lot of um, role playing of emotional intelligence to look at that piece of it. And that helps you take a pause, not become a part of the situation, but help the team become to create the solution. When you look at influence, it's, it's to me, it's sort of very simple. You know, it's what is it about you that people love? Ask them, you know, what is it about you that where you've seen the most change and can you replicate that into your staff? The influence and the power, you know, your self love and the influence that you project out there is ultimately going to change the mindset of your staff. Individualism, I hold this one very near and dear to my heart too. Um, This is separating person from persons and separating your title as a leader from self. This is a very key, I kind of consider this, like if you're looking at the human body, almost as the heart of the body, like that vital organ that keeps it pumping and, and going. Because oftentimes we look at our unit's You always want to focus on a team, but within that team are a bunch of nurses who are growing, professionally growing in a different speed, a different rate, and through different generations. And if you don't get to know your staff on a personal level and what their professional growth trajectory is, you're likely to lose them in the shuffle. And this is where they start looking in other directions when i say take you know take your title away from self this is where you know these are the times that when i'm having conversations with staff um just to really build a relationship i flip the badge around because right now i'm a human i'm you know i'm a person and i want to get to know you and in the end yes that's going to help me as a leader figure out how we can get you on the correct path um you know uh, you know as a person um part of that too i also you know developed uh, when i was a nurse manager A, um, a six month check in. So every nurse has their annual review. It's, you know, for leaders that are listening, it's like the nightmare (laughs) every year that we go through, especially (laughs) if you have very large teams, you know, like I had, you know, my was 65 nurses. You have to do annual reviews. You know, you've got to do those performance reviews for each and individual nurse. I created a six month, um, one on one review for staff. It wasn't mandatory. It was, it was optional, but at the 6 month mark it allowed us to review where they were the year before look at their goals have they met their goals are they trajecting in the in you know in the ter- direction that they want if not why this gives you the leader the leader as the opportunity to talk to them about retention what's going to keep them to stay if they're not meeting their goals halfway through sometimes it might be a red flag and you need to dive into that are they having personal issues at home is there something you can do or are they having a change of heart. This way when the their year mark comes up, it's not a surprise at where you're going when you're doing their evaluation to, for you and for the nurse. So that's the piece that I, you know, I love when we look at these four key dimensions and I think about individualism. And, you know, I'll tell you, it wasn't easy and it was like a full-time job, but out of all 65 of my nurses, I knew every single one of them personally. Every single one of them. And Doing their leadership and staff evaluations um, became a lot smoother for me because when you start to get to know your staff, you know what their needs are, you know where they're at, and you know what to do next. The fourth uh, key is consistency. So I've been saying this for many years, and I've learned this from one of my great leaders. um, Consistency hardwires practice. I cannot emphasize that anymore within so many aspects of uh, nursing as a whole. But as a leader, you know the balance and the expected outcomes that you want to achieve, if you are consistent with your approach each and every time, regardless of whether it's a crisis happening or you have a low census, will ultimately equal a highly reliable leader and a team. If you enter that room every time the same way, there's an expectation on staff that know how their leader is going to respond to a situation. So that is the four key dimensions that I talk about in my program. And, you know, we dive into that a little bit more in in, in that week. But I I think those four key dimensions are really something to focus on as leaders to succeed and succeed in retention as well.
1: Oh, my gosh, you like totally just gave us so much valuable information. I I have I was writing down like some questions as you were talking, because um, there was just so much great information. One of the things that questions I have is, so you talked about um, about your six month check in and your evaluation. That's something that I frequently hear from uh, nursing leaders that they just don't have time to do. Do you have any tips around how you manage to you know fit that in? How what did it look like, or how can we uh, get the listeners to really be able to take this and put it into practice, especially knowing that everybody's short on time?
0: Yes, and um, awesome question. So when you look at your calendar and often we all know what our calendars look like every day in a leadership position. (laughs) Um, You've got to take some time to block out for yourself. So when I, and I mean like protected time, whether that's 15 minutes, 20 minutes, at some point in your day, you can literally find time to block out at least 15 minutes, whether that means coming in, you know, like in early in the morning. I've also found myself um, in, in, this, is a, this was a perfect example with my group of directors that we were all going to the same exact meetings all the time, getting the same information. And all of our plates were very overwhelmed that we talked to our executive director and said, hey, can we divide to conquer? This way, when you look at time management, it helped us all, especially during the time of evaluations, get things done because we all don't need to be in the same room at the same time to hear the same message to know what to do afterwards. So we did, we divide to conquer and those that went to certain meetings reported back to us on what the information was. And if there was any deliverables we needed to do, we wrote them down and, and followed through with them. So those are two, two things that I think helped me. And I, you know, I was always able to get my evaluations in on time. And I think that's because I didn't. So in the beginning, I was like, I think as a, as a new leader, I was like crying over this. <laughs> I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> this is going to be like the bane of my existence. This is impossible. How to you know, you go through this whole thing and I was like, there has got to be a way. So of course it took me four to five years to figure it out. But when you, when you look at it, if you do things in short clips, because hopefully, hopefully not all organizations, but at least in the ones that I worked with, you were, you know, when evaluation time was coming, they open up the, you know, the link for you to fill out the evaluations. And it's usually about two months ahead of time. So what I did was I took the number of the number of um, staff that I had, right, I divided that by the number of days. And I looked at how often like how, how long it was going to take to do it. So I there was like math that I that I literally put involved into this. And then what I did, was I actually took the employees that I knew were going to be the most difficult to do, and I actually did them first and not last. And because I knew I, I could also be a very big procrastinator. and when you procrastinate, the inevitable, and, to, and those evaluations that you need to focus on that are need um, as, you know as much attention to detail, you don't want to put that last because these might be the employees that might not be sticking around. And as we know, as leaders, you know, documentation and process is really important. And at some point, you don't know when you might have to go back and reflect in these evaluations. So I would actually put them first. So by the time I was done with that, it was like biking down the hill afterwards. And I, I did, I set aside a few employees either each day, or you just have to average it out by the time the deadline comes.
1: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really, really great strategy. I think, um, you know, one thing that I like to teach my nurse leaders too is the priority matrix. So um, for those of you who don't know what that is, basically, you draw a little square, and then you divide the square up into four boxes. So it looks like four square. Um, and on the top, you know, the um, horizontal axis, you're going to write urgency. And then on the yeah. vertical axis, you'll write the importance and you decide um, which ones are high and which is low. So on the top axis where it says urgency, you'll have over in that left-hand corner high, over in the right-hand corner low. And then on the vertical axis with importance, you'll have the bottom square low and then the upper square high. And you want to look at, is this important with a high urgency? So if it's like, you know, the, ho- the hospital has, is having a fire that's important. And there's an urgency, you do it right now. Like you drop whatever it is you're doing, you do it right now. If it's um, a low urgency, but you know, high importance, then you can schedule it. So for example, you know, what you're talking about right now is something that is definitely high importance, but the urgency is not right this minute, right? So we can get that scheduled. And then if you look at your urgency, and it's low, and the importance is, uh, I'm sorry, the urgency is, um, is high, and the importance is low, like, you know, somebody else has an urgent deadline, then that's something that you either want to push back on or you can delegate it. And then the last column is something that has low urgency and low importance, and that you just don't do. So, an example of that might be like refiling, you know, last year's files into like a new file folder. Like, you just don't do it. We only have so much time in the day. And so, I've used that priority matrix to really examine like even my um, meetings, right? So if I have meetings that are scheduled all day and I have something that's really urgent come up, I look to see what's the lowest priority on there. And then I ask myself later on, does it really need to even come back on? Is it something that I can take off and then not go back to? So I think those are some great uh, points around prioritization and making sure you fit in those things that are important, especially evaluations when it comes to, you know, getting to know your staff and just knowing the huge impact that it has on retention and satisfaction of your staff.
0: Yeah, I forgot about that tool. That's a great tool to use. Yeah, it's awesome.
1: Oh, man. Well, you, I mean, you have so much great information around um, really how to get these nursing leaders to, you know, improve their retention, reprove. You know, you talked about how this works really great with new grads. Do you think these strategies also work with maybe, you know, our folks that have been around um, for decades on the unit? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there anything that you? that you would do different between the two groups?
0: Um, the only thing that I would do different, and I also f- actually focus on this in my program, is look at generational nursing. Um, it's really important to, you know, not all new grads are, you know, millennials or Gen Zs. You know, it's, people come into the careers as a second and third career. But I think when you look at nurses on a whole that um, our nurses, you know, beyond the novice nurse years, you have to look at, and when I say generational nursing, I mean by years of experience. And that's what you need to take into consideration. All of these methods that I teach as a leader will go into any group of nurses, whether they're um, newer nurses or not. But the key factor is taking into consideration the years of experience they are as a nurse, because the group that tends to be forgotten about are those that are between like that two to five year mark, um, you know, of, of nurses at the bedside. That's, we really have to do a great job at focusing on that group because that's the point where they're going to either want to grow professionally within the organization if they're given, um, you know, the support to get there or they're going to leave. And the nurses that have been there for a really long time, you know, when you look at retention, most of them, you know, are not going to leave, but you have to value their tenure that, you know, of being there for a long time and use their knowledge and experience to invest into how you can create um, better outcomes in a culture in the unit. I think it's, it's great to bring them back into the cultivating change in the unit. You know, it gives them sort of that sense of, um, you know, seniority where, you know, th- they matter yeah
1: that's a great point because i I've seen several things happen when you don't do that. So number one, you you know end up with that are um really just dissatisfied in the job that they have. They just stay because they've been there for a long time, or two, they just don't feel valued, right? They have so much experience to offer, so to be able to like reinvigorate that group of nurses and really just have them spread all of that wealth and experience that they have to some of the folks that don't have the, the number of experience that you know years of experience. I think that's a, a really great point around, you know, making sure you're not just focusing on one group. And I think you're, you know, you really made another great point around the two to five year mark. That's true. That's exactly when people tend to look for new jobs, either because they want to promote or because they're not satisfied. So exactly.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, when you look at this group that are older, too, and you know, this is where, you know, the the, the old saying of nurses eat their young come into play. When you don't value the the experience of the nurses that have been there for a long time and and include them in on decision making, their attitude and behavior is what affects the nurses coming in. They're not going to appreciate them as much as they should if you don't appreciate them as senior leaders. So it's, you know, it's, it's almost like a snowball effect. So when you show value in your senior leaders, I mean, your senior nurses, and how much value they bring to the staff coming in, they're going to feel really valued and appreciated. And they're going to want to literally show their legacy before they leave and give back to those younger nurses, you know, who you know what they were, you know, it's it's like raising your young.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's going to be crucially important, especially in terms of having baby boomers retire and just losing that huge um, gap of, you know, we're going to have a huge gap in terms of experienced nurses on the floor in terms of, um, nurses retiring versus new nurses entering the profession. So, um, super salient points. Um, so Noel, if folks want to find out more about you and your, your program, where can they, where can they look?
0: So I think the best place to look is on LinkedIn. So if, if they just, um, find me on LinkedIn, uh, Noel Coles. You can see a lot of the work that I've done. I also have my own LinkedIn live show as well. That's on Wednesdays at uh, noon, uh, East Coast time. I always have to remember to include that coast, (laughs) Um, that time zone in there. Um, You know, I, I would love to have people come and participate. And a lot of the topics that we do talk about has to do around healthcare and nursing. And, you know, my calendar's open um, after March. And if anyone has any great um, ideas or topics to bring up, I'd be more than um, willing to have them on my show. And to, you know, talk about healthcare, nursing at a whole. And, you know, I also focus on a lot of nurse entrepreneurs, too, because it's amazing how many of us are out there right now. And the best thing we can do is raise each other up and support each other. So if you've got if you're a nurse entrepreneur, and you've got some some great ideas and a great uh, business going, I'd love to talk with you too. And it'd be great to have you on the show. Yeah, I think, I mean,
1: um, you you brought up another wonderful point, And that is, as nurse entrepreneurs, you, you are a leader, right? So I think a lot of folks uh, believe that, you know, leadership really is like in an organization, maybe that isn't your own. But when you own your own uh, business, it's even more crucial that you have that leadership skills, because you're building your own you know, your, your own and you're, you're oftentimes siloed, right? There, If you're building your yeah. own business, um, oftentimes you don't have other folks that you can, you know, look up to or lean into. So I think it's super important to have
0: a mentor um, in that way. So wonderful. Yeah, great. Chris, you brought, you brought up such a great point too. and And I think that's why we all really need to do a good job at supporting each other on LinkedIn or any other platform because we are so used to collaborating and I found this to be the hardest part of being an entrepreneur and building a program, I literally sat there and looked around and was like crickets. And I said, I, I'm like, I can't, I'm like, I need feedback. I need, I need brains. I need people. people. I'm like, what do you mean? I can't do this on my own. And then really literally through building up a network on LinkedIn, I'm like, Hey, can you look at this? Can somebody like, I, hello.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Great. Well, it has been amazing to have you on the show. I really appreciate all of the amazing nuggets that you have. And again, if you want to check out Noelle and her work, you can go ahead and go on to LinkedIn um, and you'll be able to find
0: uh, Noelle Coles there.
1: Uh, Noelle, do you want to spell your last name for the listeners that they're looking you up or actually your first and last names if they're looking you up? Yeah,
0: sure. So it's um, Noelle, N-O-E-L-L-E. And my last name is Coles, K-O-H-L-E-S. Awesome. Thanks again. You're welcome. Thanks so much.